Welcome to Explain to Shane. I'm your host, Shane Tews at the American Enterprise Institute. On this podcast, I interview tech industry experts to explain how the apps, services, and structures of today's information technology system work and how they shape our social and economic life. Field engineers continue to work on refining autonomous vehicles, or AV, along with industry experts to bring AV technology to market, eventually enabling a safer mobile environment for humans and society, while also offering the ability to enable large amounts of data to smart city operations for better mobility planning and to enable more artificial intelligence through real-time data collection. We continue to see the dual opportunities to enhance driver safety and data collection as a priority in infrastructure policies for lawmakers and public officials. What are the largest challenges to enabling more autonomous vehicles on the road? And how can we help both manufacturers and passengers work around these barriers? Today's guest is Grayson Brulte, co-founder of Brulte & Company, an autonomous mobility consulting firm that helps companies launch AV programs to help design and deploy systems and policies that enable autonomous vehicles in more jurisdictions here in the United States. Grayson is a former co-chair of the Autonomous Vehicle Task Force for the City of Beverly Hills, where he also served as a member of the Smart City Tech Committee. Grayson recently relocated to Florida thanks to their AV forward adoption policies to train and permit AV in forward-thinking jurisdictions. He has also hosted a number of state and local officials on his own podcast, Road to Autonomy. Grayson joins us to discuss the future of AV and share his vision of a future driverless society. Hey, Grayson, I was catching up with my friend, our mutual friend, Austin Carson, a few weeks back, and he met, I was mentioning a story about the villages in Florida, and Austin said that you should meet my friend Grayson, who is testing autonomous vehicles in that area. I'm assuming because the many of the residents down there are tootling around in slow golf carts, which would make it easier to train AV. But I'm very curious to know what got you in the space. I'm glad I mentioned it because it means that you and I are going to have a good discussion today about autonomous vehicles and, and regulation. But here we are. Hello, new friend. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute honor and pleasure to be here and have a wonderful conversation about autonomous vehicles with you. Really, how I got into it is I served on the, the tech committee for the city of Beverly Hills, and we started looking at new innovative ideas and things to deploy in the city because Beverly Hills is only 5.7 square miles. It's an independent city. And so we can do really cool things. And later we'll get into this. I learned that you know the state of California that has regulations that says what you can't do. And that opened up a whole thing. And we just kind of went all in on it. And then later, Mayor Mirish appointed me and this wonderful gentleman named AJ Wilmer as co-chairs of the Autonomous Vehicle Task Force. And we built out the entire autonomous vehicle plan for the city of Beverly Hills. And then we ran into regulatory hurdles with California but it is what it is. And then if you want to look at the villages, the villages is incredible. It's in central Florida. It's about 30 minutes outside of Orlando. And it's an incredible place. I've had the honor, Oliver Cameron, who was the CEO of Voyage and recently was acquired by GM Cruise, took me there and he said, come on, I want to show you the vehicles. I want you to go for a ride and meet some villagers. Okay. And we have this wonderful thing and we're, we're cruising around the villages in the car. And then we stopped at like a community center, and these individuals would come out with the biggest smiles. How can I get this? Can I go to the bocce game? Can I go to the store? How can I go to the airport? Can I go to the doctor? Can I go to the hospital? And there was this general sense of enthusiasm and love in the villages for exploring this new technology because the villages is an older retirement community, 55 and older, and they want to have these experiences. They want to talk about things. They want to be able to talk about experiences to their grandkids. And it's just an incredible place to deploy vehicles. That's fascinating. So how many vehicles do they have in that area right now? They had six. 
vehicles. And now I'm not sure of the plans now that Cruise has a acquired Voyage. And so it's waiting to be seen. But the one thing, you know, for the executives from Cruise and Rob Grant, you're a policy guy and you're a good friend if you're listening. You know, please continue the Voyage model at the Villages because these individuals, they want it, one. And then two, they have disposable income. So they have the income to pay for a ride. And then some of them, as they get older, they need the ability to move around the Villages. Because the Villages is not a... It's a master plan community, but it's not the master plan community in the sense that there's these villages that are connected by these long roads, and if you know some of them are miles away. So if you want to go to say go visit Susie, or you want to go play golf, it's a it's it's a long drive, and the autonomous vehicles will give them the ability to connect and to go have those experiences. I have this vision in my head now of people in the villages following the AV vehicles like ice cream trucks when we were little kids. <laughs> there's an AV, I want to go see it. But I also this in this last couple of weeks we've had a couple of things that have happened. Tiger Woods had a very terrible car accident. And I kept thinking, why doesn't he just have a driver? I mean, guys shouldn't be driving at this stage. And I also had a, a friend's mother who had, luckily she came out of it okay, but a really tough car accident in the Midwest. And I know being a Midwesterner, to us, cars are freedom. And I also realized when I was researching this, I'm like, you know, I actually like to drive. I have a five speed. So it's like, I had to kind of think through my head, what would make me want to go to an AV vehicle? And then I thought about, like, I would much prefer to have, let's say my mom, who will be listening to this podcast. You know, she'd be willing to go a little further than where she goes now. And especially in the evening where, you know, older people find that they just really are not comfortable driving. So I think the the things that you're going to see coming out of the villages will be really beneficial, not only for people in that age bracket, but it, it gives you a, a, a fascinating place to go study this. So that must be really interesting. Now, you also founded an autonomous mobility advisory firm that helps companies that are interested in launching AV programs across the globe understand both technical aspects and the political and regulatory challenges around AV manufacturing and development. I'm really curious about the stage we're in right now where AV is being migrated into communities like you've mentioned. And I worry about the challenge of machines and their precision accuracy and the awkward mix of the lack of human lack of reliability, I guess, is the best way behind the wheel. How do, how do you manage that? It's about setting expectations. There, there is no true full autonomous vehicle on the road today. There is no true level four or level five autonomous vehicle on the road today. There are test vehicles, and I want to stress the word test vehicles and experimental vehicles, but there is no true service without a driver today. So we're still going through the early experiments with it. And companies are, are working really hard to integrate into the local surroundings. For example, Argo is doing a fantastic job in Miami integrating into the local community. They're building the, the Miami driver. Miami is a very interesting place to drive with different obstacles and situations. And it was they were very kind. They put me in the vehicle pre-pandemic and it operated just like you would drive in Miami. And I had no idea the vehicle was even in that mode. They're also doing the same thing in Pittsburgh, where Pittsburgh has a lot of bridges. How do you navigate those? They have a lot of salt. They have a lot of snow. And they're integrating there. And eventually, at some point in the next three to five years, we will pull the drivers in dense urban communities and deploying it. The one thing that we always ask clients is, is there a path to profitability with robo-taxis in your traditional sense? My opinion, there, there is no path to profitability in the traditional sense. You're going to see the path to profitability and extreme margins on the autonomous trucking side, which is easier from a regulatory standpoint. It's easier from a technical standpoint. 
than you are in the robotaxis operating in dense urban environments which are extremely hard to drive in. Because when you start operating autonomous vehicles, or robotaxis for that matter, in dense urban environments such as California, or you want to operate them in Miami, and you start having multiple services. So let's say Argo's operating there, Cruise is operating there, Aurora's operating there. Well, what are you going to have? You're going to have a race to the bottom. Who can out-subsidize who? Who can lower the, the, the race further? Because it's the same thing that we see today in the Uber and Lyft markets of traditional ride-hailing. Okay, Lyft's a dollar cheaper. I'm going to go in Lyft in this one. Okay, Uber's $2 cheaper in this one. I'm going to go in Uber. And that's where the individuals building the robo-taxis do not understand. It's not about who can build the best robo-taxi. It's not about that. It's about the experience. Who can build the best experience where you can expand margins? Can you partner with a retailer, say like Louis Vuitton, and you can get an exclusive handbag if you ride in that vehicle, and you can get a percentage of that sale. That gives you the ability to expand margins to open commerce in the vehicle. The vehicle itself will not generate money. It will probably lose money for the indefinite future. But once you lay commerce on top of that, it's really interesting. And you're based in DC and you, you have the individuals that lobby for the alcohol industry. They're chomping at the bit until there's no steering wheel and no pedals to be able to sell liquor in those vehicles and expand margins. That's where it's really going to come down to. It's going to come down to the experiences in the robo taxis. And then it's going to come on the trucking side to expanding the margins and shoring up the supply chain. As we saw during COVID, the supply chain got hit really hard. And when we have mass amounts of autonomous trucks on the road, such as Too Simple, for example, operating or Embark or, or Kodiak for that matter, they're going to shore up the supply chain and they're going to lower the cost of goods. So if you're an individual, you're going to go to Walmart or you're going to go to Costco, well, that piece of meat might be 10% cheaper because the truck was able to get there more efficiently or the roll of toilet paper that you might have got might have been cheaper. There's going to be all these great advantages. Not only are these companies going to make money, but they're going to have a positive impact on society and they're going to help consumers save money. I hadn't thought about the cross-marketing aspects of it, but you, you might be right. There's a lot of people in SUVs I would like to see in the back of cars. And if a Louis Vuitton bag gets them there, I think we'd be a lot safer. Mentioning the supply chain, I know that there's been a lack of availability of semiconductor chips in the pipeline for traditional cars. They've had a slowdown. Are you seeing that as well in AV innovation? Not yet. It's too early to tell. And I want to paraphrase that. With two, there's not enough vehicles on the road for the ship shortage to have a dramatic impact yet. The issue that you could see with some of the GPUs is the Bitcoin and Ethereum mining that are, that are using up a lot of those GPUs that we need for self-driving. That could be an issue, but as of yet, the, the fleets are so small, there has been no material impact yet. I thought about self-driving vehicles being pitted against Bitcoin. <laughs> so going back to the work that you did when you were on the Mayor's Autonomous Vehicle Task Force, how do you work through the concerns of the people in government, you know, regulators or the city council on, you know, let's, let's start with the safety measures around the mix of driven cars and AV cars. We had an incredible policy that the gentleman A.J. Wilmer came up with. It was called No Surprises. That was our whole thing where we would invite companies to come in and, and have lunch with the mayor, have lunch with the city council and explain what they wanted to do and get the sign off from the police chief, sign off from the fire chief, sign off from the city manager and have all the safety plans put in place for the vehicle. So everybody knew what was happening, when it was happening. The test drivers knew that, okay, this is Madi, who was city manager at the time. This is his cell phone. This is my cell phone. This is the chain of command. And then we invited, we would invite the public to be part of these conversations so that it was not done in the dark. It was done in an open forum where the public was able to attend these meetings to learn and to ask questions. So it was all about no surprises and building trust. 
I love the idea of no surprises. Very, very transparent. And I imagine you, they got to see some very interesting demos that would hopefully put them over and made them realize it's this is really interesting technology and we should be thinking more about it. What about, I guess one of the things I always, it's like, when I think through it, I think we may need to just have, like I have bike lanes in front of my, my house here in, in DC. Do we need to have specific lanes where people know that those are AV vehicles to get them comfortable with it more from a human aspect than an actual design in traffic flow? Would that help? No, because when the vehicles are fully deployed, besides the sensors, you're, you're never going to know it's a self-driving car, it's an autonomous vehicle because it's going to blend in. What we have to do, and, and SAE and what was involved with this project did a, a phenomenal job two years ago. We did a thing called SAE Demo Days, where we went around the country with, with autonomous vehicles, invite the public to go for rides, to learn about it, meet the engineers behind the technology, experience the technology. And then we've got some individuals that w- went through there and they were, you're going to kill me, you're going to kill me. And they came out and, 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 and she came out and she gives me the biggest hug. She goes, I'm not dead. I love you. But the bad news was, this was boring. And I said, ma'am, that's exactly what we want. And she's like, I'm going to tell all my friends about this and how great this technology is. What the key to this is, we have to expose the public to the technology. They have to be a part of the, the debate. It can't be, well, there's a Silicon Valley company that's building this technology and it's going to take over the world. We have to inc- include them in the debate. And I'll give you a great example that's in the news today is privacy. Tim Cook has done a masterful job and a complete masterful job of positioning Apple as the king of privacy and protecting users' privacy. And somebody's going to have to do that for the trust and adoption of self-driving cars. On one end, you have the policy individuals that are you're talking to lawmakers and legislators, but then you need to have the, the group that interacts with the public that allows them to ask questions, allows them to get comfortable and experience the technology. I'm a big believer when it comes to, first of all, I, I don't really believe that there is privacy. I think it's a, an emotion. But when it comes to data, that we need to be transparent and very accountable as to where the data flows off. And cars are really fascinating in that area. I was in a, a test lab down in Atlanta, and they were trying to show us all these technical aspects, but we're all a bunch of policy geeks that are looking at this. So we were like, who owns the data? And they were like, what? <laughs> like, well, you've got, a, you've got a carrier involved here. You've got a car company that wants all the information that's coming off of it. Like, how much does the individual know you know, that, that this is happening. And it was one of those things that I think they hadn't thought about from a policy perspective. I'm personally fine with all that. And I think, you know, recently where we've learned that, you know, cars have black boxes similar to the way airplanes do when it comes to accidents. This is probably all good from a macro perspective, but we, I think we need to be very transparent to make sure that the individual consumers know that when they're buying a car, all this information is going to flow to another source that isn't just them, which I've been looking at them from afar. I haven't been into a showroom or talked to somebody, but I hope that they're making the sense of that. But I also think it's fascinating how much information can flow into a smart city. And I know you've done a lot of work on that as well. So I know your recent podcast with the chief economist, which I love that the Florida Chamber of Commerce has a chief economist who's also the director of research. You guys kind of got into that a little bit in urban planning. So how much more data is, is getting engaged in how we are planning cities? And talk about that a little bit. Well, I would take a quick step backwards and, and touch on, on the car data, and then we'll go into the smart city. I think it's, it's really important. As cars gather data, you're driving, let's just call it Acme car, and you have cameras and sensors all over it, and you paid you know, anywhere from $50,000 to $140,000 for that vehicle, and you own, you own it. And you're gathering data, and that data is then going back to the company. Why? Why are you not collecting a royalty? That's the big debate that I think is going to come with data. Here I am. I'm driving this vehicle. I'm gathering data. I'm helping you map. You don't pay me a royalty. Why not? If I write a song, 
I write American Woman, I write These Eyes or a great song that's played millions of times on the radio. As a friend of mine says, you get a mailbox check. You get, you get paid that royalty. So why are the consumers not getting paid a royalty for gathering data? If you, if you look at Tesla, you're spending a lot of money on a Tesla. You're gathering all this data so they can build with a neural net. Why are you not getting paid per mile when you're gathering that data and giving it to the company? It can either be in the form of a, of a rebate on your lease if you do it, or some sort of check. That's going to be, the, I think, the big issue that's going to happen on, on the vehicle side. And there's other companies that are doing it on the supply chain. You know, Mobilize doing it, which is owned by Intel. And we see that there's an activist in there. So you're going to possibly see some, some shakeups there. So that's the big debate that I have that nobody's willing to have on the vehicle side. On the smart city side... Wait, wait, hold on. Yeah. We'll, we'll get this one. Why aren't they willing to have that discussion? Because that that's, makes perfect sense to me. It's fundamentally going to disrupt their business models. That's and they're the not willing to move forward with the idea that a collaborative effort, you know, it's, it's going back to your point about Apple and Tim Cook and where Apple just changed their notifications. So when they're telling you every time something is being used on your phone and Facebook wasn't very happy about that, even though I think it was a good thing for Facebook to say, let's just be really, again, transparent about all the information that we're gathering with this social media app. So I think that your, your model would work if it were to go into place, not only on, on, autonomous vehicles, but it could be just interesting altogether. So maybe you and I have to have a separate discussion about that because I think that's a great idea. No, you're, you're totally right. So if you're buying the product and you own it, then you should have the right to opt out of it. Okay. Apple's doing it. Why can't you do it in the vehicle? If you're an autonomous vehicle and you're paying for a service and you don't own the product, that's a different story as long as you're fully transparent about it. This is the data that's gathering and if it's anonymized or whatever goes into that. And that uh, might be like on, a mapping the, service. What, what, like, so what would like if I one of my things is I I get to choose maybe a mapping service, and I if it's Waze, then all that information is going back to Waze. But I, I'm just trying to work that model out in my head. So if you own the vehicle and, and you have cameras, that data is then going back to the, the tier one supplier or the car company to create a map. And so by you driving, if you're commuting to work or you're you're driving the kids to school, or you're going to the grocery store. Every time you drive, that company is getting real world data on your driving habits. If you want to open the black box here, and let's go down Pandora's box, what if the insurance company got that data? Oh, wow, hey, you're a speeder. You don't say you speed, you're a speeder, okay? Then what happened if you want to go down the government thing where we all see that there's a, a need to raise tax revenue? Wait a second. Shane drove 50 miles last week. Wait a second. We have the ability to tax it for the, for the vehicle mile traveled and we can get all this data? Uh-oh. Then you, then you got a retroactive tax, and then you've got a complete political storm on your hands and you're going to have absolute outrage. It's just, there's so many complex issues that, that go into this that have to be thought through. And there's very few, and Austin's in a great example of a really good person doing really good things in the policy world, but there's very few people that understand all the policy implications of putting full autonomous driving systems on the road. Is there anyone that's got a leg up and are really doing this well, that maybe outside the United States? No. But what is it? Who's going to be our first example? Who do you think is going to be the, the first one to show us how to do this right? When Project Titan becomes a reality, based on track record, I'm going to say it's Apple. Apple's building the moat around their business and privacy, and they have the brand, they have the marketing and PR campaign. Can you imagine Tim Cook's there in Cupertino on stage, un unveils the Apple car, says, says, Ladies and gentlemen, this is the greatest car ever made. It will not track you. It will protect your privacy. That's headlines, Washington Post, New York Times, the Times of London, around the world. 
And he just sent a shot across the bow to Detroit. Let's go back to the data on that. So if you might be able to disaggregate the data. So I have information that flows to this, whatever the smart city component is. But we all ultimately know that you can pretty much get tracked from your data, even if you're saying that they don't know it's Shane. That'll be interesting to see if Apple can find the right balance there and be able to share information with the cities. Sounds like you, I would love to talk to you further about you know, how you're going to put this together, because if you can tell the, the locality ahead of time, like how do they should be thinking about managing this and putting it forward, you can put a good plan together rather than what we normally deal with this is really kludgy. Nobody thinks about these things as a collaborative effort. And the bits and bytes don't actually share information to the people that could really benefit from it. You know, traffic lights, just doing traffic flow, as well as maybe, you know, emergency entities on that. So are you, do you have anybody in your client base right now that you think is, they're asking the right questions to each other and you're seeing a good roadmap they're using? We have several clients that are doing right because they're, they're thinking this through holistically. And they're also, you know, one of the things is that, you know, we didn't grow up in Detroit. We didn't come through the automotive industry. So we tend to look at things com- completely differently through a lot of lenses. And so I would say our clients are looking at it holistically, trying to think through all the problems. Then when you look at data sharing in cities, there's no fundamental reason why you should have to share data with a city. And that was an approach that I took on this technology committee and on the smart city because you're opening up a can of worms. And the other issue with smart cities, and you mentioned Dr. Jerry Parrish, and you're looking at data, the big debate that's going to come now on the smart city is camera versus LIDAR. We're seeing a lot of debate now. Every time you turn on the news or open the newspaper, there's an issue about equality, okay, tracking. At some point, are cameras banned in cities and replaced with LIDARs? Because a LIDAR can't tell you know, your origin, can't tell if you're male or, male or female, doesn't know what you look like. I can just pick up your body heat. So does that open that debate now where if you're starting to track somebody through a city, do we see non-invasive technologies such as, such as LiDAR replace cameras? Yeah. And the Apple, it's not, I mentioned not from Detroit and, and advising clients to, to look at it from the outside. There's a huge debate in the analyst community now. Well, Apple's going to build a car. No, Apple's, Apple's not going to build a car in the traditional sense of a, of a car that would come off the line in Detroit or down in Georgia, one of the BMW plants. It's a platform. And that thing's going to be, is just going to have services on top of it. And it's just going to grow their services business. And the really interesting thing is when Apple eventually achieves level four and level five autonomy, they're going to augment the glass. So your windshield, your side windows are all going to be augmented. And then you're going to see Tim Cook go out on stage again and say, ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce you to the world's latest and greatest, the world's best Apple store, Apple AR. And that's going to create a whole traditional new line of business for Apple, where if you're going around a city, let's say we're going, I come to visit you in Washington, D.C., and I bring my family, and I I get in the vehicle, if it's going to be a subscription model, for example, okay, hey, Siri, take me on a tour of the Washington Monuments. Okay, Grayson, would you like that with an in-car audio guide? That will be $9.99. Yes, Siri, thank you. Apple gets a 30% commission. I have a really great experience. My daughter can learn about the monuments and the history behind the monuments. Absolutely priceless. And that just becomes another, another engine of growth for them. And that's going to be one of the biggest opportunities we're going to see in autonomous vehicles is the aug- augmenting and selling of services. Well, and I would imagine like lots of places that people don't actually want to drive to could be a whole new experience as well. Like being in this area, I was, you know, cradle of liberty where there's lots of things that we can go see, but the idea of getting in the car for three hours isn't as entertaining as thinking something else could occupy you, which you did another podcast 
on why passengers boredom is a good thing with one of the Intel executives. And, and you mentioned earlier about the woman saying it was boring. So what do you do with these bored passengers to make sure they don't start messing with the machine? You have to eliminate the steering wheel and you have to eliminate the pedals. Zooks is probably the best example of that from a, a safety perspective. And when you have that, you, no steering wheel, no pedals, then you can create this experience. So you're, you're bored there. Okay, give you, give you another example that you're gonna see come in the future. You're bored in the vehicle, okay. Would you like to get in the Mickey Mouse car? Would you like to watch your latest Netflix show and how this experience come to life? That's why you're going to, and then and all suddenly now you're not bored. Now you're, now you're consuming content. You're consuming media. It's just, it's going to be, the car is going to be a complete another screen. It's going to be an extension of your life. Your phone is going to be the key. When you get in there, you might want to listen to the Explain to Shane podcast, or you, you might want to watch this. It's all going to be pre-programmed in there. And so your boredom is just going to turn, well, I'm just sitting on my sofa in my house having this wonderful experience. I do know that I've listened to less audiobooks and less podcasts as I've been in the COVID. Every, you know, everybody's in one single spot. I have picked up on some new ones, but I do miss having that 20 minutes going someplace and being able to learn more things. And to do that not distracted would be really awesome. Well, Grayson, thank you so much for your time. I feel like we've, we've just hit the tip of the iceberg. We will definitely be following what you're working on and, and how your you know, clients are, are learning how to do this better. And I wish you a ton of luck and I hope you will come back in a, several months and tell us that everything is going great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for listening to another episode of Explain to Shane. For more episodes, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred listening platform. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in. We'll see you on the next episode of Explain to Shane.